Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's show, comedian AJ Lamarck returns to talk me through the Egyptian mythology that appeared in Marvel's Moon Knight. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm telling the Bengals, I think walking like an Egyptian feels like cultural appropriation, here at Big Squid. Thank you for joining the podcast today. It is great to have AJ back to use his Egyptian mythology knowledge to break down some of the conceits in Marvel's Moon Knight series. Uh, We've been trying to get together for ages to record and we've just been all over the shop with, well, all sorts of things. You know, it's been that kind of year really. So I was wrapped that we were finally able to make this happen. We were planning to do it just after Moon Knight finished, but we got there. Uh, I'll keep it short today as well. I've been dealing all week with a bit of post-COVID slash flu fatigue. Uh, Just a bummer. Last week was really busy. Uh, Performed with Tom Gleeson at the Enmore Theatre. Did support for the live hard quiz show. That was a lot of fun. And I'm going to be doing support this Thursday to Saturday at Chatswood with with Tom. And it's a funny show it's a really funny show and uh, I'm so wrapped for Tom he's been a good friend for a long time and I'm wrapped with all of his success and the live show is a scorcher so uh, yeah but it was such a big week last week I'm just kind of really feeling it this week so we'll, we'll keep it nice and short today don't worry it's nothing bad uh, just just tired just a bit of fatigue if you've had COVID if you've had the flu if you've had both of them within a short space of time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, hang around until the end, though. Uh, I'll tell you what we have planned for next week. And look, one of those plans for the long-time listeners of Big Squid, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh when you hear about that specific podcast, but I'll save that to the end. Let's get to it now and bring in AJ to discuss the Egyptian mythology through the Marvel gaze. There's a mild irony to this uh, segment that we're doing mm. today on uh, the Egyptian 
gods that appear in the Marvel series Moon Knight. Uh, the irony being, Moon Knight was the first Marvel product that I decided I don't need to watch all of this shit anymore. And I only watched two thirds of it. Like I didn't mm. even finish it. Now, the, I'm not saying that I won't get back to it, but there's just a lot of other things on that I enjoy a lot more. And it was feeling like a bit of a chore, even though I was excited to watch something that was delving into mm. Egyptian mythology rather than Greek or Norse, which we know a lot and it gets yeah. rehashed a bit. Was it because. Like, was it because the way they filmed it? Was it just narratively like, oh, I feel like I know what's coming? Were you, like, not engrossed in the series? Were you having that step back and being like, I'm aware I'm watching a show, you know, which sometimes then feels like a chore, or at least I've experienced that when I get off series. I'm like, I felt like I was watching something. I don't want to be feeling like I'm watching. Yeah. I want to forget where the last 30 minutes went. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It felt like, I feel like Marvel for me has become homework. Mm. And it's, oh, I have to stay across all of this yep. in case some arsehole makes a quip in a movie three years from now and I'm everyone else is laughing and I'm like, yeah. oh, I didn't realise that's a reference to episode three of Moon Knight in the 37th minute with a character who was in the background. And, <laughs> and I think that also actually speaks to a greater problem, which yep. is I have found personally the quality of Marvel whether people have been, regardless of what people have been into or not been into in the past, I've found it to be not good. It, I just mm. haven't found it entertaining at yeah. all. Uh, I've found the movies uh, a little bit of a slog. Like Even even the movies that uh, in recent times that I quite enjoyed, like Shang-Chi, that was probably mm. one that I actually did enjoy quite a bit. It still was a big CGI fest at the end. and Yeah. And I, I honestly couldn't really tell you how that film ended. The, the things that I enjoyed were the different kinds of rhythm of humour that it had earlier on in the film. Yeah. But the, the ending just became, a, oh, yeah, I see what you're doing. And the, the way they used to make Marvel comics back in the 60s mm. was that uh, Stan Lee, with, uh, say, working with Jack Kirby, would come up with an idea. And it might be the like bare bones, you know. The Fantastic Four meet a guy who's a scientist and he has an android. And then Jack Kirby would draw it. And hmm. then Stan Lee would come in and add the dialogue. Ah. And that was the, the Marvel way of creating comics. And that's how he could be so prolific back in the day because a lot of the artists were really generating the majority of the, of the story, yeah. which then gets into the politics of looking back and saying, well, you know, we love Stan, but re did he really deserve all that credit? Are we kind of overlooking the Steve Ditkos and the Mari yeah, Severins and the, and the Jack Kirby's? Now, I feel that this is what the movies and the TV uh, series have become. It's this big cookie-cutter thing yeah. where Kevin Feige is coming in with his ideas and this is what we need it to do and then just kind of slotting people in and it just... I don't know. I've just it's tiring. It, it's tiring and and it's boring and yep. that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I tapped out after Black Panther. 
That's did how you? long I got. I, yeah. I, was, I, I enjoyed them. I wouldn't say I was like a riveting fan. Yeah. I, it was something that if it was on or people were going to the cinema, I wouldn't be like, oh, no, I don't want to go. I would go along to, to watch them and I knew yeah. the universe and the characters. But then you're right. It got into this thing where I needed to know every character's backstory, their mother's maiden name, their yeah. CSV card number. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was like, I don't like I like it, but I don't have the commitment to want to put a lot of my time and energy in keeping up. And I was just like, you know, Black Panther was good. It kind of stood alone a little bit with a little end, you know, credits, like snippet to the Avengers, which were, (laughs) which kind of proceeded and then took over. So that was, you know, a fair few years ago now. But again, it's just a lot. And it it felt, I felt like it was just swap the characters out. Yeah. And and you have that, what's it, um, not Archimedes, what's that, Aristotle arc or whatever, yeah. storytelling, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, the destabilization of the equilibrium, then it gets slightly better and then it goes even worse yeah. and then you get to a better equilibrium than before. And so roughly, if you look over most of the narratives, it, it does that with the impact of CGI and then yeah. you're like, great, cool. And I think that is also what, what it boils down to. It speaks to the product not being that exciting mm. because if you're thinking those things like maybe maybe if the series like you know I've, i think phase three was a pretty high watermark for uh excellence to where they got and in, mm. in their ambition and maybe if it kept like that with season four i'd be like far out there's a lot yeah but that's fine like you know i really loved wandavision which was the first tv mm. series i thought that was fantastic uh you know i i feel like it was pretty impeachable actually even even though it was a bit of it was a cgi fest at the end it did enough on the way through and was audacious enough that i was you know totally into it and then the next series the the falcon and the wounded soldier came out and i was like at the end of it i was like jesus christ i have spent a lot of time with two sticks of wood like i have just (laughs) not enjoyed this at all and then loki was promising but once again felt too long like it felt bloated and there was just, you know, I felt like it could have been trimmed in lots of places. And then the What If cartoons, I just didn't really give a shit about them. I didn't really like the animation. But then they sort of started playing off in different bits. And it just, it's just become a bit of a slog. And, and yeah. the thing that kills me is uh, Moon Knight, who is in the comic book world, uh, you know, a pretty low-level character. Like, yeah. you know... Like Iron Man was was not top tier before the movies came along, and Moon Knight's well below. <laughs> you know he's down <laughs> down the ladder. Yeah, and uh, but I, he was a character that I accidentally uh, clocked as a youngster and mm. was really into him. And uh, funnily enough, uh, uh, when he first started off, he had he just had different uh, alter egos that he would bounce back and forward between, and I found that interesting. And then they turned it into a multiple personality disorder, oh, yeah. which, you know, like some people might find that really fascinating, but I just, I don't know, like... It's the flanderization. Like I, s- I was reading. I was reading about this earlier. Have you, have you heard of that term before? What is it? Sorry, a flanderization. No, so it comes that? from Flanders and Simpsons, mm. where um, the longer a series goes on for, um, the uh, the the tendency for the writing to take some parts of their behaviour, yeah. and make it their whole identity. Oh, so yes. Flanders starts out as yep. a friendly neighbour, yeah. and then becomes more and more like the epitome of the pushy American Christian who is overly judgmental. That's what Flanders is recently. Flanders yeah. at the beginning was just a helpful neighbour that, yeah, and, and a bit know, annoying, bit annoying. But yeah. that's it. But now it's just he's annoying. 
That's right. all he is. And, you know, right. Homer was a little bit dumb. Yeah. Now Homer is always dumb. Yeah. Lisa was a little bit smart. Like, yeah. Lisa was smart and she, you know, she had a bit more of a conscious. But now she is self-righteous and right. the epitome of, inte- you know, right. so that process is called the flanderization of things. And it sounds like Moon Knight has become that. It was This is an aspect of the world they live in and who they are. But yeah. now it's all of what they are, and we will talk to this as the extreme of that. Well, I think that's what the series did. And, he, uh, you know, I love Oscar Isaac and I love Ethan Hawke and I was still... And I, I was really up for exploring Egyptian mythology. Mm. <laughs> and I was just so bored. I was mm. really bored and I, I wasn't engaged. And I know some people really loved it, but it just, you know... Unfortunately, to, to be brutally honest, there's been so much... Excellent TV on this year. Mm. When I'm yeah. sitting there and I'm thinking, damn, I could be watching For All Mankind, or I could be watching Pachinko, or I could be watching Severance, or, you know, I could, there's just so many other things yeah. that uh, I could be watching. And even, even something like Westworld's comeback recently, and I don't think Westworld always gets it right, but I like that they're always having a shot. Yeah. They're always taking a crack at, uh, you know, doing something that's a little bit different. So, yeah, so I kind of got to, to Moon Knight at about, I think it was episode four. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. look, uh, maybe I'll get back to this at some point. <laughs> and then Ms. Marvel started, and uh, that's a character that I actually do love in the comics. I actually read her when she first came out. She was such a refreshing character. And mm. I was like, I just don't really have any faith in Marvel at the moment. So I didn't want to read this character who was kind of like a, a a new generation Peter Parker in many ways, yeah. you know, uh, this young Muslim girl who has these weird, really weird powers in the comics that aren't, uh, you know, she can make herself big and small. That's kind of what she can do. Mm. And it, it's, it's a really gangly kind of power and it's so delightful. And then I saw, ah, oh, they've made the powers energy-based. Ah, uh, yeah. I really like that character. I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> better to have go. the memory than uh, the distorted reality. Yeah. But I am still interested in the uh the Egyptian mythology side yeah. of things. And uh, for for everyone listening, uh, I'd said to you, "Hey, do you want to come over and we'll we'll discuss this." And I'd sent you uh some stuff and then uh, today I was you know, because your phone's listening in on you. <laughs> and it makes little suggestions. Of course. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Nothing's been coming up about Moon Knight on my phone. And then suddenly it's like an hour and a half before I'm about to record a podcast. What's this little suggestion? <laughs> anyway, uh, having said that, my phone made a good suggestion. And it was an article in uh, Collider, which is by Daniela Di Carlo. And uh, it's called uh, entitled Moon Knight, Every Egyptian God Mentioned in Their Place in Mythology. And this is a handy guide to navigate through the mythology of ancient Egypt. And I thought, now I'm kind of putting you under uh, on the spot with this because mm. I did not send this through. I only really found it about 40 minutes ago. Uh, but I thought we could use this as a basis to have a discussion. Yeah, about. let's do it each one of the characters. So so there's eight in total. And, of course, we begin with Khonshu, for everyone who's watched Moon Knight. He, uh, or hasn't watched Moon Knight, he is the incessant voice in the lead character's head, using him as an avatar to carry out divine vengeance against those who have committed evil while protecting the vulnerable. And in the series, the other gods don't seem to like Khonshu all that much, and they cast him out for meddling in human affairs that aren't meant to be meddled in. And... So, 
How much did they get right? Where's the how much have they well not gotten mm. wrong, but where have they taken a bit of liberty? What what can you tell us about Khonshu in Egyptian mythology? Well, it's interesting. First of all, it's um it's Khonshu in the original Khonsu, is it? Egyptian, yep. but Marvel call it Khonshu for some reason. Right. Um, and I think there's a few transliterations um that web in uh, translators have gone this is maybe a h but generally right. it's it's considered konsu which is um which they attribute mostly to the idea of traveling yep. or he who travels um as in the moon travels across the sky um it's quite patchy because as gods go konsu is a relatively minor one they don't oh. really play that much of a major role like for a long long time they started out their journey in, you know, bearing in mind that Egyptian culture is like 3,000 years. So yeah. it's a long time for like one religion in general to keep going, let alone not to be affected by change. But he doesn't really come up at all. Um, and the first mention of him that we have um, is in a funerary text in the 5th dynasty, which is the Old Kingdom. And he has got this really kind of ominous... Um, probably like a few lines of text about so, him in sorry, the Sorry to text. interrupt. How many dynasties are there? Oh, gosh. I think into the 20s? Right. Oh, yeah. I so think, yeah. The, the reason I ask is you said the fifth dynasty and you said that's the old... Yeah, so the very beginnings. Yep. Which is, yeah, and the new kingdom is newer to us. But <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> the timing gets mapped yep. out. But, um, yeah, so very early on in kind of Egyptian, uh, what we know as the kind of Egyptian era... Um, and it's on the funerary uh, prayer rites in uh, Pharaoh's tomb called um, Unas. And it's a very short segment. It's kind of hidden. But basically, it's the Pharaoh Unas asking Konsu to go out and dismember and disembowel all of the other gods to take their power and to share it with him in the afterlife. So, you know, very early on in uh, that kind of narrative, Konsu is not, he like good like Konsu is a, a god for hire who steals the powers of other gods and gives them to the pharaoh so they can share them together oh, in the right. afterlife right so it's quite he's like the dodgy third cousin that yeah. keeps turning up on christmas day <laughs> and you're like why do we keep inviting this arsehole and by the way where's our cutlery <laughs> where did it go yeah it's like no one wants him around like so i think you know that parallel in the marvel universe is like yeah fair i wouldn't want him around either yeah right <laughs> like, all of the other gods being like sure and you know as gods go he is you know being commanded by the pharaoh which is not particularly distinct you know pharaohs often ask gods to do stuff pharaohs are considered gods like demigods in some aspects and they embody gods and yeah. they are gods and they're not gods you know the Egyptian yeah. <laughs> doesn't have a constant. It's it's all and nothing at the same time. But as it goes, he's been asked to gut and take power from the other gods so they can both share it in some kind of evil, cynical way right. in the afterlife, which is quite... Yeah, it's not exactly... Uh, but that's it. That's the only text for a long time. And that's like a few lines of scripture in a prayer text with all of the other gods that you know, like Osiris and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and then later on, when you flip to the end of that 3,000-year period, roughly, um, Konsu, again, doesn't have the biggest backstory, but is considered a healer and a god of fertility. Oh, right. And um, is this god that you would pray for to heal, uh, you know, um, when the beginning of the new moon, he's associated with um, helping women become more fertile and conceive children. And so if you look across that whole 3,000-year period, you've got a very 
different perspective from the one who is like pure evil, like a god killer for hire. Yeah. And then you've got the one that like comes in and helps people, considered sometimes a god of fate as well. Yeah. Um, often, you know, when you've got the weighing of the heart ceremony at the end of um, your life where your heart is weighed uh, to see if you are good or evil, um, like he's often pictured in his bab- baboon form just sitting on top of the scales as the kind of predicator of fate as in right you know overlooking what will happen to people so often people would pray to him so they wouldn't be on the death cards for that year yeah, like right, so right. it's it's there are some semblance of that character that's kept along but yeah. ultimately it's a very interesting arc to have someone who is considered pure evil to then someone who's considered the epitome of good so is uh i guess we don't know how that happened but mm. uh, it was, you know, with the Roman mythology mm. and stuff like that, you know, they absorbed Greek mythology and added yeah. their own bits and pieces. Uh, Christian mythology <laughs> did a lot of that. <laughs> Just accidentally a offend- offended a few people. But uh, did Egyptian mythology, did that absorb other religions and in the process or, or was mm. it influenced by other religions and in the process that's how that change could have come about? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of af- uh, aspects to that as well. Like, um, even the god of the moon being a male is actually quite odd and unique yes. in mythology and religion. There yeah. are some examples, but if you think of a, a moon god, you usually think of a moon goddess. Right. And she's yes. the fertility, and it's, you know, it's a woman and it represents all of those energies. Um, and kind of similar time in Mesopotamia. Um, a contemporary god of the moon was also male. Right. Um, and he also had, uh, you know, he was a guardian of sorts. And right. in, in um, that kind of Babylonian era, um, there were similar parallels. So maybe they kind of shaped each other as, you know, those two great civilizations were, yeah. you know, side on side. Um, there was also a period called the Golden Age, um, around 1550 BCE, where, um, you know, kind of the the same dynasty as like Ramesses and the, you know the great the the epitome of what Egypt is kind of viewed as um there's a period where they move their capital to Thebes again after it's been moved around for a while um and that kind of signifies a new era and the the Theban triad is kind of invent not invented at that point but like really celebrated so these three gods are kind of moved to as the pinnacle of um what should be worshipped and the symbolism of a new era. Um, and a part of that tribe is Amun, who is like we've talked about before, um, but is kind of seen as the the king of the gods, a Zeus type character. Yeah. Um, Mat, which is uh, a goddess of the sky and also just considered the epitome of motherhood. Yep. Um, if you've seen any of like the kind of origin stories of um, Egyptian civilization, she's the one that's kind of bent over in like the upward dog position, I suppose. Right. She represents the sky. So she's yeah. obviously like she's usually like kind of in that position overlooking everything. And their son is Konsu. Right. So it's the first time that he's been really brought up as a major god character. So you've got these parents and this young son who's the god of the moon. Um and so I they reckon that's also got a lot to do with his perception and you know, how he's being looked at now because he's been, a, like, you know, like Moon Knight. It's yeah. been a small player for so long, but now he's been dragged and put into the, the main light as this, you know, this new era. He gets his own temple in the Temple of Karnak, which is a very, you know, one of the biggest religious complexes, I think, ever. Um, and, you know, he's given a lot of 
prominence. And it's hard to do that with someone who is quite evil. Yes. You don't really want a whole city being, here's our new era. By the way, he disembowers people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, so he... uh, It feels like a Neil Gaiman kind of American Gods thing where Mm. there would be, you know, some pretty big power players in the Egyptian mythological branch who are probably watching Moon Knight going, why the fuck's he got a TV show? (laughs) Like, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's like it's, it's it's the whole comedy scene all over again. Why is he getting a fucking shot? You know. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, and even with um, which it was it would be interesting when we go for the other gods. Um, unlike Greek mythology, where there's kind of a rigidity to who does what. Yeah. You know, Dionysus is celebration and feasts and wine. Poseidon is the oceans. Yeah. Hades is the underworld. It it doesn't really change from that. Hades doesn't at one point become god of. You know, also like taverns. Sausages. Yeah, and yeah. sausages. Um, yeah. But in Egyptian culture, there were many gods associated with the moon. There are many gods associated with the sun. Oh, uh, right, There's different right. incarnations. There's even different incarnations of Khonsu themselves. There's different aspects of them. And sometimes in stories, they have conversations with themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so one of, one of the notes here uh, from this article is it says, uh, interestingly... Konsu could communicate with different aspects of himself, mm. which is part of what uh, the main character, Mark Spector, can do here. It's Stephen Grant and Mark can, you know, converse mm. with each other. So these different aspects. So, so these different aspects are they are they different? Do they become kind of different versions of the same god, or are they? Are they the same god and they do just kind of have a weird personality thing going? Like, how does yeah. that work? It's, it's, sometimes it's epoch-based. Sometimes it's time-based. Sometimes it's responsibility-based. Right. So, a lot of Egyptian gods, um, kind of in a similar way, but not exactly similar to the way Zeus would transform himself to different animals. He mainly oh, yeah. did it to be a sex pest. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but oh, my God. <laughs> like, he's so rapey. Oh, gosh, yeah. Zeus is horrifically rapey. Like, oh, Lord. Incredibly it, evil. Even uh, as a kid, you know, like, one of I, I studied uh, the Greek language as a kid. Hmm. Um and can remember very little of it. But uh, I, I love the Greek mythology. That mm. was the main reason that I studied it. And uh, it was, even as a kid, he's turned himself into a golden shower and gotten this person pregnant. And you're like, uh, none of this seems right. Yeah. None of, no one opted in for yeah. most of Zeus's stories. Yeah. Um, but Egyptian culture, like, they had, they would often portray themselves or assume different forms to do slightly different functions. Right. And I think that also comes down from a worship-based, um, like a, a more people-focused thing rather than a mythological-based thing. Because if you are trying, if you've got a god that can represent and do different things at different times, um, how you represent those, how you call to those specific attributes that you're looking for in your prayer at that time, you know, you want Konsu to help heal you, but also you don't need Konsu for fate at that moment in time, or you don't want his direction and association with time right. for that prayer, right. you know? Um, and so I think some of these attributes, again, obviously manifest in animals and um, beasts that were in Egyptian landscapes, but also they go to then go, okay, when Konsu has the kind of falcon head, which you kind of see in, in Moon Knight, it's yeah. very long 
which is more representative of the sky. Um, and Nat has certain attributes um, that, you know, you can pray to. But when he's in baboon form, he represents more fate. Right. Um, there's this thing called, like, the list of the... the the Book of Fate, I can't remember, the annual Book of Fate or Death or something like that, um, which he helps write every year about who's going to die that year. And it's, you know, a bit kind of like the fates in Greek mythology. Yeah. It's like he has that power. And so if you're kind of praying to Konsu that you don't get put on the list that year, uh, the naughty and nice, maybe that's where naughty yeah. and nice comes from. Yep. If you're praying you're not on that list, you would go to the baboon symbolism as yep. opposed to the falcon who kind of represents more of the healing aspect. Right. You know, so yep. I think it's probably that. Um, yeah. Well, you, to to put it in a, a modern uh, parlance, we could uh, say that it's uh, when when you're doing stand up, you're being a comedian. Yes. And then if people want to talk to you about theatre, then okay, well we're going to change uh, yeah change tact here. I'm not going to be doing jokes. I'm mm. not going to be performing at you. I'm going to talk theatre. Yeah. And then when I talk about mythology, I'm going to be this version. Yeah. But you're not going to go as far as to when I'm talking theatre with you, be a six foot two Asian woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then then yeah. when I talk to you about when I see you do stand up, you're not a baboon holding a microphone going, "G'day, folks, how's it going?" So, so like I, I try get, my best, but yeah. I can't promise anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's changing. Uh, it is, yeah, yeah changing and, jobs. and the knowledge and the power that comes with that, and and yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good analogy. What you're talking to specifically, yeah. and we and we don't really do that in at least Western societies is differentiate different aspects of people from the person. Yeah. You know, if you see someone on TV, that's how they always are. Yes. They can never have a tired day. Yeah. They can never <laughs> walk down the street and you see them and then you go, oh, I bumped into, I don't know, David Tennant. And I love David Tennant, but he was walking and he just ignored me. And I said, <laughs> hello, and now I hate David Tennant. You're like, yeah. oh. David Tennant could be tired today. Yeah. David Tennant could be stressed. Something yeah. bad could have happened, but we don't, we can't differentiate. Yeah. That is not Doctor Who, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's meant to always be that fantastic. Exactly. Right. Oh, well, that's very interesting about Konsu. Yeah, how fantastic that uh, so front and centre in this uh, in this mm. series, but uh, realistically a, a bit on the minor side. Yeah. and it's... Maybe that's why they... I wonder, you know, like there could be many reasons mm. that they... Uh, went with that character for uh, the Moon Knight character in the comics. It might be just very simple as, you know, looking at the moon aspect of it. Yeah. But I I wonder if it also just gives you more room to breathe when you want to play around mm. with the story as yeah. well. Cause it's, because it's not quite as locked in or rigid. Yeah, that's true. I would say like Thor and Loki, a lot of people would message into Marvel being like, well, actually, in this text, Loki wouldn't do that. He right. did this, you know, I can, because a lot more people know and there's yeah. a lot more texts around that that's yeah. still maintained. And But yeah, it's interesting with Konsu as well. There's there's so many different aspects. Um, and I think... By the way, I have to tell you, as a kid, I was shocked when I read Norse mythology for the first time and found out that Thor was... a Big fella with ginger hair and oh, yeah. ginger beard, <laughs> and was pretty much an alcoholic. And yeah. uh, Loki, I, I feel like uh, the the comic book version of Loki somehow caught the the snarling, sneering uh, version. Yeah. But it was like, man, Thor must have been wrapped when he saw the comic of himself and thought, they have given <laughs> me a sweet ass makeover. You know, yes, he got a glow up. He did. <laughs> he got <laughs> he really a glow did. up. He got cheekbones. He did, and he got <laughs> pecs for days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, so yeah. Funny. Uh, sorry, but I interrupted. No, uh, no, no. I yeah. was, yeah, I was just going to say because Konsu, even in the good era, 
which is really interesting and I think it's a fascinating um, point on how we view people in a contemporary lens. When Konsu was good, let's put it that way, if we go from he was evil to start with and he's good now, um, when Konsu was good, he didn't just stop having powers. He didn't stop doing things. Just the reason why he did them was different. Right. So he was still known as being quite a skilled soldier and still known for being able to, like, hunt people. Like, people prayed to him to heal because they thought a lot of the time illnesses came from demons. Right. So you'd pray to Konsu and Konsu would go in and just destroy these demons instead of afflicted you. So it wasn't like he was there with a little lab vial and being like, you know, here's your booster shot. Yeah. But um, (laughs) he was was physically fighting these demonic forces. Right. and so, you know, in the context of, of Marvel, it kind of does have a bit of analogy. Like, he's a bit of a... Uh, he's not a part of the main gods. Yeah. Um, he's a bit of a fighter. Yeah. He does have this kind of vengeful evil streak, but he can use it, and he does use it for good. Right, um, right. And he, you know, the vengeful part of him that wants to stop people doing evil things. The other gods in Egyptian culture don't really care too much, which right. I think they've got right. They don't really play with people. Right. They don't care. It's unlike Greek mythology where the Greek gods knew that they needed people to worship them to exist. Right. Like that was very much a part of them. If people stopped praying to Zeus, Zeus lost power. Right. And and so did the other Greek gods. Um, the Egyptian gods were doing their own thing. They were right. fighting their own battles. They were, you know, destroying their enemies and protecting their interests. And pharaohs and people were just around. Right. And worshipped them and that was nice and they didn't mind it. But like... Yeah. They believe in their own lives. Who, who are the demons that Egyptian gods are fighting? Like, because like mm. Norse mythology, they have the they have the um, frost giants. You mm. know, uh, you know, Christian mythology, we have angels and you know mm. demons, etc. Who are the who are the demons in Egyptian mythology? Yeah, a lot of the time they were just gods in different forms, right? And so they were less monsters, but um, you know, like Apep is the the snake, yep, the big snake that Ra fights every day in the battle of the sun coming up in the sky and setting, and then when the sun sets, one of the you know the main stories is that Ra has to then spend his boat journey going underneath the world for the sun to rise. And in order to do that, he has to defeat the evil snake, um, Apep. Yeah. And who's trying to kill him every night and every day. So this thing happens every 24 hours. Yeah. The sun comes up and when the sun comes up, Ra's successful and he's won. And that's why it's a you know a blood sky in the morning because that's the blood of Apep right. being spilt. Um, Set um, is kind of a bit of the Hades comparison. Yeah. He's got a bit of a jackal head, um, you know. He has a massive, he has a massive um, arch, you know, nemesis villain story going on with Ra, who's the golden child, and you know he doesn't like that. And he's the one that's kind of responsible for killing Osiris and splitting up his body and burying it all over the world that Isis yeah. has to piece together. Yeah. Um, so there's less monsters that they fight. It's more manifestations of evil deities and and demigods and and gods. Yeah. That reemerge and then they get destroyed and they either come back or they they manifest in some other manner what a bummer to be a god if that was all you got to do like yeah. you know you think oh imagine being a god and all the things that you could do you just lounge around and you know <laughs> i might eat some grapes today or i might create a whole new planet and and then this guy's just fighting constantly. Just every day. He gets a bit of a rest when the sun comes up. Right. He's just on his boat having fun. And then every night, just another snake. Like, oh, good right. lord. Doesn't trying to like swallow him whole. Trying yeah. to swallow the sun whole. Why are there so many giant snakes in mythology? 
That's a good question. Why why are snakes villainous as well? What do people not like? It? Like, was it just because they were evil? Like, they could kill people? I guess so. I guess they're scary, right? Like, they mm. move quickly. They've got big teeth. And if they bite you, it looks like a pretty awful death. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. In the UK, badgers aren't particularly pleasant. Like, why there's no, like, yeah, evil... Yeah, but badgers don't have poison in their teeth, do they? Oh, but they could... Honey badgers are vicious. Like, really? And actually evil... <laughs> Really? Like, they will go for people. Right. You know, like, it's that kind of, like, squirrels. Australia doesn't have squirrels, do they? I don't think I've we ever have, seen uh, possums. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. Po- possums are kind. Possums? I once... <laughs> so, <laughs> I once walked past Hyde Park, like, it was probably about 8 p.m. in the evening, right? Yeah. And um, I was walking past, and I heard this woman kind of on the grass... Um, and she was a Scottish woman and she was talking to this possum. And the possum was kind of at the base of the tree when I looked around. And she was like, eh, what wee creature are you? Like, clearly a tourist. Yeah. Never seen a possum in their life. Yeah. Which is fair. Like, that's pretty cool if you've never seen one. Yeah. She's like, oh, I just want to take a wee pitch. And she's having a full-on conversation with this possum. And then <laughs> the possum gets spooked by the flash and runs up the tree. And she just looks really sad at the tree. And she's like, I, you don't like me either. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, and I was no. like... That sentence has to be the saddest oh, Scottish sentence I've ever heard. Far out. You don't pro- like me either. Probably <laughs> come from the other side of the world just to find someone to engage with. And now the possum's gone, nah, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> wow. That is... It was really sad. Brutal moment. But quite funny. <laughs> wow. Poor thing. Oh, my Lord. Well, don't... You know... Why Turn the flash off. off. <laughs> yeah, turn the flash off. You would have the possum friend. Uh so, all right, let's have a look. at The, the yep. second one here is Amit, A-double-M-I-T, who in the TV series is the crocodile lady who plays the antagonist to Konsu. Mm. Uh, much like the moon god, Amit dishes out divine retribution. However, she makes her judgments before a person has actually committed the evil act. Mm. And uh, she... Uh, she preemptively wants to rid the world of evil and devour souls before they can reach the underworld. So um, so she sits by the scales in the underworld. Is that right? Yeah. So when your heart is getting weighed on the scales, it's weighed yep. against a feather. Yeah. And the feather represents innocence and purity. And um, there is a part of a process as well where before that, um, when your heart is on the scales, you have to answer a series of questions. I think there's another religion where it's a bit like this. It's like... Um, not the kind of Ten Commandments type way, but it's more so, have you ever done this? And you have to say yes or no. And right. if you answer truthfully to all of these things which are considered purity, then your heart is lighter than the feather um, and you get to go on to the next life. Right. And if not, it swallows it whole. Sorry, um, what's, is, is, it, is it important to answer truthfully or answer correctly? Uh, both. Right. So you have to answer correctly and truthfully. Right. But also you have to answer that you haven't done all of these things at the same right. time. And it's really interesting because um, the Book of the Dead, which a, a lot of people would have heard of, um, is is kind of one of the most famous examples of um, basically different spells, incantations, um, promises that you can get inscribed in your wall. So think of it as kind of like a... Um, I don't know, like, imagine going to Ikea, right? And you had a book in Ikea. 
And you could like, you know, you pick the parts of the cabinet that you want and you want this side and you want that many shelves and you you, you put it together and then you get a, a cabinet made. Yeah. So the Book of the Dead kind of worked in a similar way for a lot of people who weren't pharaohs, who couldn't afford a massive temple with every carving that they wanted, right? Right. It's quite an expensive thing to do. You have to have quite a lot of money, even to get a tomb and be mummified in the first place. And then to have people come in, paint, carve, yeah, and priests to ordain the space with all of the spells and funerary rites. Right. Right. So a lot of people would go to the Book of the Dead and go, I want these ones and how much is it going to cost me type thing. Um, And there is one kind of spell, a part of that, that is like when I get to that stage of weighing my heart and I have to say I haven't done any of these bad things, I've got to. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thing in my tomb that says I can lie and they won't know. <laughs> oh right so right. it's like you would you would get that spell and it's like when uh, you know i'm riffing here but i'm like when asked about this blah blah blah, i i can say and no god shall hear the truth and right you know so you kind of get yourself <laughs> some mystical crossed fingers behind the back kind of oh deal. totally a right. lot of these prayers um were <laughs> quite often about tricking yourself to get you the best laughter life like the idea yeah. of um a shabti doll which is like the little little um kind of marified dolls that were placed in um funerary rooms throne rooms or you know kind of to a lesser extent coffins for people who were not as rich yeah their sole existence and again they have one of these spells on them that says in the afterlife when i have to work the fields i will not work the fields this doll will do the manual labor for me (laughs) right that is exactly what it is and and the spell you put on that and you get buried with it and it's basically like well if i get to the i'm not I'm not doing the field work. Yeah, fuck this that. thing. Yeah, can take on a physical form that, and I'm just going to go chill. At yeah, the, I don't know wherever they're chilling or whatever they're doing. But so a lot of these prayers, obviously, they're it's, they're about storytelling. They're about having this grandiose, like, oh, this is the life I led, and was I amazing? And I, me and Osiris, we took out our enemies to the north, and yep. blah blah blah. So, and, and you know that was a lot of it. Uh, parts of it were you know detailing how you want to be told on a personal level who you affiliated with and why you love them, etc. And then in a certain aspect, it's like yeah, get out of going to hell cards here, 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 and here. But right. Amit is a, a, a kind of responsible for that fate. Quite a powerful god. Like the yep. the animals that they are, they manifest as lions, hippopotami, alligators, yep. man eating quite formidable beasts that a lot of people in Egyptian culture would have been quite scared of. Yeah. Like, you don't go across any of those animals and go, okay, 
Like, la, la, yeah, la, la, la. Yeah, yeah. you might come across a snake. Like, a lot of people would have come across snakes and, like, flicked it off with their, like, cane, you know, yeah. because they've got work to do and it's in the fields where they're working. But yep. you can't do that with this type of animal. So, like, that association alone is fear and is primal, is is quiet, um, dangerous, and, you know, as a result, the, the, the god that in, embodies those is by virtue quiet, dangerous yeah. and stable and man-hating and man-eating. Yeah. It's uh, interesting, once again, comparing it to other mythologies where this mm. is so animal-based and, uh, you know, the so many of the others are idealised humans. Mm. Yeah. That's that's a very it's a very interesting aspect because people chose not to embody themselves directly because um, even the ones that did have human forms they were amalgamated right. you know they had the head of an animal yeah and the body of a human um, yeah and sometimes when they were depicted as humans they had a, a different context like Konsu as a part of the um, as a part of the Theban triad is depicted as a boy. Right. Because he's the son of these two. And so, you know, he takes on a human form. And again, the power that he wields and what that's about kind of varies to when he's the baboon. And the baboon has much more power yeah. to fate and who's dying and, and who gets through the process of being judged. And, right. Yeah, and, and it's like connotations. But yeah, I find it quite fascinating as well that they rely so much more on the animal imagery yeah. than they do on the human imagery to tell that story because they view themselves as distinct yes. from that process. They are not a part of the gods, like you know the Greeks who meddle in and jump in, and yeah. they sometimes can be humans who go to gods. Yeah. Like it's it's transient. You know, you go to Olympus up the hill. Yeah, and if you can get there, great, you did it. Yeah, but you can't necessarily to the god sphere. Yeah. You can't jump in the boat with Ra. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, uh, uh, you know, from what I've read, I, I've read very little, but it also felt like, you know, when I would read about the Greek or the Norse gods, they were big. Mm. They always felt like they were big, but they were like six foot two, six foot six big. Mm. And anytime I read stuff about Egyptian mythology, they always felt like, you know, they were incomprehensible in their size and i don't mm. know i don't know why i don't even think there was anything specific that i read that made me think that but that just the way they were described and the things that they yeah. did just felt once again like they were from a higher plane of existence i oh, totally even with mood as i was describing earlier being the goddess of the sky and literally being the sky yeah. You know, and again, if, if you're watching it, you're interested, you can Google and you'll see kind of see where she's bent over as a representation of the entire sky. Yeah. Like, so when people are looking up, the furthest point that you can see is probably like a part of her body. Yeah. You know, it's very un- intangible. You know, even with um, Norse mythology, for example, you know, if you die, you go and hang out with the gods in Valhalla. Yeah. You have a dinner with them yeah. pretty much until uh, Ragnarok. Like, yeah. That's what you do. Um, but I think also maybe it comes from the temples themselves when they've got these such giant statues. And, you know, we don't have um, knowledge or stories passed down from generations that still exist. Like, the re- you know, religions in, in the Middle East and Egypt took over. Um, you know, Islam took over. Like, they yeah. weren't still keeping around stories about Ptah. And like, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, but I think in, in Norwegian, um, Swedish, you know, um, cultures and stuff, there was still this talk about, oh, yeah, like, we don't believe this, but... Yes. 
this is where the side of this fabled thing happened in mythology. Like it was right. still kind of around yeah. in pop culture, which kind yeah. of made it human. Yes. But all we had were temples with, you know, you know, 20 foot, 30 foot high statues right. of a pharaoh god. So I, I can kind of get that. I kind of view them in a similar way. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely makes them uh, stand out. And it also just sort of suggests to me that maybe the Egyptians had more of a sense of their imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny because temples and um, pyramids and all of that stuff back in the day would have been brightly coloured. Yes. So it's kind of the thing where it's like Greek statues also were brightly coloured. Yeah. And then over time, the paint chips away and it's nothing now. Yeah. But... With Egyptian temples, and sometimes you can see it with the ones that are extremely well-preserved, there's colour. Yeah. And the outside of these temples would have been uh, brightly lit too. Yeah. Because it's like, this is a a joyous place. This isn't a solemn place, you know. It's not a Puritan, Christian type thing where it's like we've we've come here to be humble before god it was a way like yeah yeah check this out especially in the desert you've got yellow sand yellow red sand and then all of a sudden this bright white temple with all the color in it it's meant to be seen yeah it's uh it's vivid every day here (laughs) in ancient egypt but doesn't drain the energy supplies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, maybe it does. I mean, maybe, in, def- in different ways, it drained the, the energy uh, supply. The, 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 the people uh, <laughs> energy supplies. Exactly. Uh, so then we have Tauret, T-A-W-E-R-E-T. How would I pronounce that? Tauret? And Tauret in the... I'll keep saying Tauret until you correct me. No, I mean, go for it. That's... Uh, is the hippo goddess tasked with shepherding the lead character of um, the Moon Knight, Mark and Stephen, through the duat, D-U-A-T, mm. to the Field of Reeds. Yep. And uh, in in her ancient uh, depiction, it says here, uh, in, in the series she's a hippo, but in ancient uh, times she had the head of a hippo the limbs of a lion and the tail of a crocodile. Mm. Uh, but she was a goddess who presided over childbirth and she protected laboring mothers by chasing evil spirits away. And she could also be found at the gates of the underworld helping newly arrived souls with their rebirth. It's, it's a really interesting thing because we mentioned earlier of that those formidable beasts that people were scared of, right? Yeah. So this is a great example of what we were talking about of Konsu, right? The idea that same skills, yep. two different two different versions of them, but yep. they're exactly the same skill. On one side, Konsu was a, a killer of gods yep. and and evil spirits for evil purposes, and then killer of demons and evil spirits for good purposes. Yep. Um, the representation of uh, this goddess as a hippo, a crocodile, a lion, embodies all of those fierce natures as a protector, yes. but puts it in a good light. So yep. unlike the one where you're scared of being punished forever, um, in the duat is kind of like I would say limbo. I suppose it's that bit before you get to the field, yeah, um, where you're being judged and you're going through all right. these processes and you've got the get out of jail yep. scriptures in your tomb, yeah, um, that you're putting down like you know um, cards. Yep. Um, it's the waiting room for before you. Oh, yeah. yeah, we'll see you now, mate. Come in. <laughs> yeah, it's the waiting room. Yep. Um, you know. She's the protector of, 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 you know, fertility and birth in this aspect. That ferociousness is being used for good. Yeah. And that ferociousness is, could also turn on the individual who they're guiding um, as well through the duat and through that process. Yeah. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a really interesting um, point for symbolism as well, which I really appreciate. There's, again, uh, a duality or plurality that you don't really see in modern day societies that just because something can be used for good and evil doesn't make the person wielding them good or evil. Yes, right. We go, you know, like we don't, we kind of have a fear of someone who has too much power. We kind of like the Batmans. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we either get, um, we either fear them or we, we get, uh, uh, you know, dismissive. Mm. Oh, they can do anything. Yeah, no, I can't relate to that. You know. Uh, uh, th- so that's interesting because I was about to say to you, uh, is that one of the reasons that maybe the mythology didn't find? Uh, no, where where does? Uh, excuse me if if this is a really uh, dumb thing to ask, but where there's there's a hippo uh, styled god in uh, Hindu mythology, isn't there? I oh, think. I'm not particularly sure hang about. On, let Hindu me mythology. Um, have a Google. I thought there was uh, something. Uh, hang on a sec. Is it uh, Makara? Oh no, I'm not sure. You can have a, you can tell me. <laughs> uh, a, a legendary. Oh no, it's a sea creature in Hindu mythology. But uh, I wonder. I wonder in Western society if these, um, like, is is, is it? Uh, I, I'm just hypothesizing mm. this at the moment. But is Western mythology a little bit more self? Uh, Western mythology is Western culture just a little bit more self-involved <laughs> so you know so mm. it's like yeah no i see the gods as as us and yeah. then you know you look at hindu and you look at egyptian and it's like no the gods are you know it's the it's the foot of a rattlesnake and the and the eye of a of a sea otter and it's uh you know it's something <laughs> beyond comprehension yeah it's together. quite interesting it's a, yeah it's outward. a very european thing i think yeah a lot of like i'm just thinking you know if you think of aztec um, the Aztec Empire, their gods, um, they're, they're humanified, but like, you know, they're eagles and jaguars. They yeah. are, um, you know, and they're imbued with animals, but animals in a, and it depends at what era as well, because, you know, Aztecs were actually pretty much equivalent, same lifespan as, um, the Aztec Empire, I think, began when Oxford University was built. So it's right. actually a lot later than what we kind of imagine because, you know, it fits the bill of Egypt, ancient Egypt and ancient yeah. Greece. But it's actually a lot closer to us now. Right. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, it's much... It's, it's really fascinating because our mind goes, yeah, it fits in with this. Yes. Not, not the medieval period of the UK. Yeah. Uh, well, in Europe and etc. Um, But it's quite interesting in the eras as well you look at because um, obviously a lot of pagan cultures do that. And I think there's just this also idea of a lot of how do you depict a God? Right. And I think it's quite interesting when, if you depict it as a person, which person, why that person? Yeah. How that person? Yeah. Do people kind of refuse the idea of a God that looks like people because then it makes it hard to believe in a God. If it looks like the guy who's in charge at the moment, you're like, well, that's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> Zeus looks like yeah. the guy who's in charge. Like, yeah. you know, even with um, Egyptian cultures, uh, ancient Egypt, the, the pharaohs put themselves, pardon me, the pharaohs put themselves at the same level as the gods right. and became demigods, but they were never a god. Yeah. They imbued parts of them. Um, but again, there was that kind of separation 
um, and they transcended, and that's why the pharaohs were particularly special, um, because they were a part of that lie where the gods favoured, and they were part god and part not. Um, but yeah, it's really fascinating to go on the horses people who look like us yeah and and you know great mythology is people who look like us romans right. is you know a bit of an inheritance you know ancient religion like that where they are, I, you know they kind of look like us but then also they have celestial representations yes you know roman mythology is like jupiter and yeah. uh, nike and, and Mars. they they are planets out there as well which is yeah. quite an interesting connection to make um but yeah i'm not entirely sure why i think it's just the nature of um Maybe how those cultures viewed themselves and right. the imp- the importance of seeing themselves in um, their religion as opposed to being beholden to the religion. Right. Did, did, did maybe Christianity just bummed every other religion out as far as stories go? <laughs> like that was that was part of the problem as a kid as well. Like mm. uh, like being raised an atheist, but also I just found the stories to be so boring. Yeah, like, well, it depends on, like, it, it's, it's quite interesting. Some of the stories are, you know, the main ones. Um, but even then, I find Christianity quite fascinating because you've got Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. And Old Testament is a quite active God. Yes. Like a God that plays in the world. Yeah. Kind of like a Zeus. Like a Zeus, of, I was about to say. You know, of, the Job yeah. stuff and... Yeah. like, like, hang on, that doesn't quite jibe with the the god that people worship now. Oh, totally. And the yeah. flooding, yeah. like flooding the entire world because yeah. he's annoyed. Yeah. Like, you know, that god then changes very differently in the New Testament. And that's, yeah. a, you know, they, you know, after Jesus is um, crucified and uh, reborn and the sins of the worlds have been absorbed for eternity. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's this new, where God doesn't really actively play in the world anymore it's it's yep. you know and even that kind of split i wonder what was going on at the time to then go well we kind of a god that's getting involved in things right. we don't want a god that is playing with we god needs to be above us god would be god wouldn't be doing this god yep. wouldn't be wasting his time with one of his creations like why yeah. would he do that we need you know i find that quite fascinating i would love to maybe i'm going to go google that when i get home and see what that transition or why that came around old testament new testament is a little bit like what happened to the teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> like it starts off as this black and white parody of frank miller's daredevil and is quite you know like a scratchy-looking comic and, you know, very alternative. And then suddenly it's a kid's show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about... Yeah, that's true. It is not what it started as. So anyone who was offended that I called it Christian mythology is probably now apoplectic that I've now compared it to the Teenage (laughs) Mutant Ninja Turtles. But uh, But as we know, they were written around the same time. Yeah. uh, (laughs) As we all know. Um. Um, The the other gods that uh, uh, kind of turn up in this, uh, you know, it's uh, some of the classics like Osiris. Uh, is, Is Osiris the most well-known Egyptian god? Oh, I would say it's up there. It depends. I would say Isis is probably more well-known. Right. And I think that's by virtue of 
their character being a bit more on the Cleopatra like like Cleopatra and Isis have a very similar pop culture knowledge. Right. You know, they're these kind of mythical Egyptian even though one is not mythical. But right. like they have the you know, it's like the Helen of Troy. Like Cleopatra is that equivalent like Yeah. You know, people have this idea of who she was and, you know, it's this romance and Isis has that with Osiris. I you know, Isis um, goes to great lengths to bring back Osiris after he's been killed, and yeah. you know it's the love, it's you know, and it's the the face of beauty. She's quite depicted. She's often depicted when she has a human face, at least, as this beautiful woman. Right. Same way as Cleopatra, and I think that kind of permeates society a bit more. And if you ask people about Osiris, they might not know as much, or they might right. be like, "I've heard of Isis," but now obviously Isis has a totally different meaning. Boo! Uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for doing that as well, ruining that. I know, boo. So but she's also so she's the wife and the sister of Osiris. Oh yeah, it's all higgledy piggledy, my son John. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, that's how they go. Keep it within the family. Um, it depends it's, on what uh, what sect as well. You know, there's different right. Different eras, like, you know, 3,000 years is a long time. There's different stories and traditions and even place to place. Yeah. Um, there would be slightly different narratives about yeah. what was going on. Um, you know, there's one version where, you know, Osiris is brought back to life, for example. Isis goes and collects all of his body parts, does a ceremony, and he's back happy as Larry. There's another part where she just brings him back and she turns into a bird and flaps his penis erect so she can have sex with him. Um, and then she births the son, um, and then but Osiris is still dead. So you know, and then there's another. V- <laughs> That's uh, some pretty impressive flapping. That's very. I mean, those wings must. <laughs> yeah, far out. <laughs> you know, so like there's all different versions of what happened, and you know, sometimes she, there are different. Gods, she didn't think sometimes. to go like IVF. She thought, oh no, gotta <laughs> gotta get. Uh, Osiris up one more time. One more time. Like old times, wow. baby. Um, yeah. So, very interesting character. Very different um, permeate, permeations um, or manifestations of what they did and why they did and how they did and who were they related to. But, yeah. you know, incest wasn't that odd for the pharaonic line. Yeah. Um, it was pretty standard. You know, Cleopatra's family were all inbred. Um so, you know, just sell a V. <laughs> uh, was, um, did they end up, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Habsburg jaw, which is, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, for people who aren't uh, across the distinctive Habsburg jaw, uh, and it's something that they've discovered was probably through, uh, uh, royal families, um, uh, the, Sorry, the family tree, I've just looked this up uh, so I could explain it properly because I, I only know it, mm. but not well enough for people who might not be across it. But the family tree of the Habsburgs, a German-Austrian ruling family whose domain stretched from Portugal to Transylvania is a tangled one. Like many royal families, the Habsburgs made strategic marriages to consolidate their powers. And they're saying that they have a very specific jaw. So... Uh, Jutting jaws with bulbous lower lips and long noses. And it's most likely the cause of uh, come from inbreeding. Mm. So, did Cleopatra and Egyptians, did they have that same problem? Yeah, a lot of the pharaohs were quiet. Because Tutankhamun 
Oh yeah, Tutankhamun is a prime example when they, you know, did the scans on his body and yeah. you know they were doing all those um, examinations. They were like, well, you know, he's probably died of these things, which look like impact. Yeah, but also he wasn't going to last long anyway. Like right. <laughs> his bones were weak. He was yeah. fragile. He had this dis- uh, def- uh, deformity. Like a lot of them would have had a lot of really chronic illnesses and didn't really yeah. last particularly long. Yeah. Um. You know, I think Ramesses the third was one of the longest reigning, and I think it was. I, like, I, I, I will have to double check. I can't verify this, but it was upwards of sixty years, right? Which is pretty impressive, even by our standards. Yeah, um, yeah, and like, yeah, a lot of them would have really suffered in life. Right, um, not a particularly great line to be from. Man, what a bummer. What an absolute bummer. The price of, of, of controlling the world. You know, I'd just like to be able to put on pants, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I'm at. Um, we should uh, finish up, uh, but all of this has been so interesting and there's, there were a few more. Is there, um, is there an Egyptian god that you are... Once again, I'm putting you on the spot, but <laughs> is there an Egyptian god that is um, one that you think doesn't get enough love that you feel like would be perfect to be hmm. given a given an opportunity to star in a Marvel movie or you know I think Foth T H O T H yep um they're kind of the god of astrology to god of maths and 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 just generally scientific and wise and um, you know, they're kind of attributed to a lot of scholarly pursuits. Yep. Like the upper classes would kind of be fond of Foth. It kind of represents knowledge and power. Um, but it's, I'm trying to think of a good example in other religions to try and compare that. It's just like, the, it's like a bit cooler than the librarian god. Right. But like a god that kind of lives in knowledge and, and intellect. Yep. Isn't really fueled by, and again, I, there's probably different stories and different permutations of what Foff has done, but doesn't really live for the ego. Right. Is not trying to be the top dog. Yep. He's not trying to, like, you know, fall in love with someone or is jealous that someone fell in love. They just like doing their calculations. You know, a lot of people who worshipped Foff were the ones who were also studying the movements of the sun. Because obviously, while there was the, the religious aspect of ancient Egyptian culture, um, you know, they were some of the people to f- first, like, acknowledge that the world was round. Right. Um, and, you know, we must be revolving around the sun or something because, yeah. you know, this time the shadow is here, but in this city at the same time the shadow is here and we've observed this. They were scientific and yeah. um, they were curious about the world as well. Um, and Foth was someone that they would look up to. And I think, you know, as a, as a character in our Marvel series, um, you know, that's the kind of one you would go to to seek expert knowledge about right. how to overcome this foe or where's this mythical weapon kept or what is the right celestial composure of the stars so yeah. you can overcome whatever, you know, whatever circumstance the heroes are needed to uh, find. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. He could be almost like a cosmic scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it says here, uh, another god of the moon. Yes, as well. Foth was also shared. Well, there's a story where um, the moon and the sun are considered the eyes of Horus. Right. And there's a story where Set um, 
plucks out one of Horace's eyes, which is the moon, and Fuff um, like restores Horace's eye. Right. Um, and uh, you know that's part of the reason why the moon is given this healing power as well. And that moon is actually um, represented by the god Konsu. Right. So you know right. they're both entwined with this moon aspect, like I was saying earlier. Yeah. There's even a god called Aya. Um, who is actually just the moon, but doesn't really get mentioned because they don't have a personality. They're very boring. Um, But there is the word for moon, which is also a god, but doesn't really do anything. Konsu is really known for it. But Foth is also there. A lot of gods doing a lot of things around the sun. (laughs) I mean, the moon, sorry. Yeah, right. Interesting. And uh, here it uh, says that... uh the god of reckoning, of learning, and of writing was held to be the inventor of writing, mm. the creator of languages, the scribe, interpreter, and advisor of the gods, and the representative of the sun god. It says R E R E. Yeah, Ray. Ray. Or Ra. Yeah. As, as, as we'd pronounce it. In uh, also culture. said um, said to be self created. <laughs> Good on you. Love that. I like, always like a, a, a self made uh, <laughs> god. Entrepreneurship is yeah. best. <laughs> Or born of the seed of Horus from the forehead of Set. Love it. <laughs> kind of says to me that Horus has got to work on his aim. <laughs> That's what's happening there. <laughs> oh, gosh, it was a messy night. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. In the fields. They got a lovely uh, sun out of it. <laughs> who is uh, looks after the moon, ironically. Oh, so, oh, well, that's all great. We, uh, uh, I am totally into doing more on this um in our next season to do more about the uh, Egyptian mythology because it is, it's always been one that's always felt uh, interesting, Mm. but it never, especially as a kid, once again, like Greek and uh, Norse mythology was just presented in ways that was Mm. accessible. Yeah. And so then you could kind of work your way up and then, you know, and even now you still get like Neil Gaiman, writing uh, mm. Norse mythology, you know. and, and uh, uh, But Egyptian mythology always just looks so alien and strange and always felt mysterious. a little uh, mysterious, yeah. but a little bit out of reach in that if you wanted to read about it, especially when I was a kid, mm. it was... It was in thick books with tiny prints. Yeah. With maybe a few... Yeah, such a good so, point. You know... 200 pages in there, some glossy photos, but the glossy photos are just the... You need someone to walk you through it. That's what pretty much Egyptology is about. Like when I was... I got into it because I studied it at a university and um, for my year abroad. And I did it on a whim because I just loved it. And I was like, I want the opportunity to do this. But when someone takes you through it, you're like, oh, okay, this is great. Because you go, what is that? Why is that? I don't understand this because... This is very new. This is a whole new world. And yeah. someone goes, blah, 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 blah. And it makes those books readable. Yes. But if you don't have that, it's just like... It's like, ah, too much information. Yeah. Yeah, I don't quite know how to get it's into stressful. this. Yeah. It's not in. It's not informative and engaging. It's stressful and, and debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so fascinating. So, uh, you, you we'll have... Maybe maybe that's the path we can go down next. Pick out a few and uh, maybe even mm. some of the uh, stories. Um, this is going up in a couple of days. Oh, cool. Do you have anything coming up? Um, Do you have gigs or... No, I kind of close on the gig um, thing at the moment. I've been preparing for shows and doing a lot of admin for touring and writing stuff. and oh, which man, is admin for touring. Admin. Like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> stop with all your crazy talk. Oh. How much fun is it? 
It's. I mean, it'll be. It'll be fun. It'll be all right. Oh, it'll be fun once it's happening. Yeah. Just doing the admin. Doing the admin is annoying, but I, I've got a new podcast though. Um, what? I started a podcast. Yeah. Oh, what's your new podcast? It's called Floof with AJ Lamarck. Um, basically, I just really like it when people have an. In- I think we've all got a friend, right? Like, where they've started up a topic and they love that topic, and so yeah. they start talking about it, but they, like. They can never have a conversation about it because, like, in a group setting and not everybody's on board. So, they're like, oh, calm it about you, blah, 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 mate. Yeah. Or you want to say something and you really love this thing, but you've got no one to talk about because it's like, who else is going to chat Egyptology with you? Right, um, right, right. <laughs> like, I can't just be like, go down to the pub and be like, excuse me, do you mind if yeah. I sit here? I'd love to talk about Konsu. Yeah, um, yeah. I have some firm thoughts on <laughs> Thoth. <laughs> and people go, yes, let's have a full-on yeah. conversation. Yeah. So, it's called Floof with Adrian Lamarck and basically... Each episode, I just chat to someone about an area either they're really interested in or they've got a lot of experience in or they've studied a lot or just, just randomly happen to know a bunch about. And it's, so each episode is very different in theme, but it's just someone talking from a space of kind of a lot of information, whether that's like academic as in this happened and I study this or yeah. someone is like, oh, I had a lockdown fascination and I just really read up on Antarctica. Yep. Yeah which is this week's episode. And so I chat to her about what she learned and like what's going on in Antarctica. And, you know, the last episode was about Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, the episode great. before was like about, you know, with Annie Louie and about, you know, her being in a funeral assistant. So yeah. very different topics, but people who had just got like a conversation that they cannot really have. It's uh, <laughs> a, a, a place to nerd out in a yeah. safe space. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> did you know much about Dungeons and Dragons before? Oh, I, I knew a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I used to play, I played, I used to have a show. Oh, yes, yeah, of used course. To have drag yes, show. I did know um, that. Sorry, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a really fun conversation because it's like you kind of want to be able to explain things. And what I do on it is like sometimes if people get really like informed, I'm like, that word means this. And I have yeah. to like translate. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, you know, I want people to be like they're along with the journey, not like an app. It's not an academic podcast. Yeah. It's more just like having a chit chat and then someone goes and you're like what's a dm you're like okay a dm is a dungeon master and yeah. that means they control the game just yeah. so you <laughs> you yeah. can keep up um dungeons really and dragons so the i discovered that in et when i saw it at the cinema because yeah. they're playing it and then i was at angus and robertson's in adelaide and there was a box set i had the first box set which mm. would probably be worth quite a bit of money but uh but that thing was Fucking oh, run yeah. into the ground. We use that so much, <laughs> you know. I long for the days when you could just be so happy because you had crystal dice. Oh, you know the amount of dice I buy every time I go to PAX, which is like the biggest like pop culture nerd yeah. conference um, that happens in the Southern Hemisphere. Happens in October every year, um, minus COVID, and there are so many dice stalls. And yeah. the amount of money sometimes that think that die sets cost. Yeah. They're carved out of the most insane materials. They're so beautiful. And yeah. I'm just like, I have so many dice. So many dice. <laughs> so many dice. I, I get it. I totally get it. It's it was so such pretty. a thrill. Yeah. Uh, did you have a favorite dice? Oh, I have these ones that it's like, it's white imbued with like, they were they're, they're cheaper, but um, they're a white material and they're imbued with like gold like veins right kind of, you know like that japanese art of mending broken things with gold yeah so right. it's kind of like that but the base is like this brilliant white and you just got gold like veins in it and, right. and i was like oh that's pretty yeah what? and they've done me the best so far in terms of luck so and, and, and do, <laughs> is that a whole set or do you the whole set yeah yeah, yeah. great 
Great. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. There's a taste of the nerdery that I'm sure that they find <laughs> on your podcast. So where can people find that podcast and where can people find you? Uh, podcast, Floof with AJ Lamarck on Spotify and Apple. And um, I think if you type that into Google, it will appear on where people listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I'm AJ Lamarck, L-A-M-A-R-Q-U-E on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Yeah. It's good to have a name that's just nice and unique that can... Uh, <laughs> Make you easily found. Hi, I'm John Smith, number 327,692 <laughs> yeah, underscore hieroglyphic, you know. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, AJ. That was great. Thank you to AJ for helping me get my head around this stuff. As I said to you at the start, we've been trying to do more of this and have just had a little bit of bad luck in timing and putting things together, etc. So hopefully next season we'll be able to have him back with uh, more of that stuff. As I was saying in the podcast, I find it so fascinating and it was always a bit academic. That was the word I was searching for. I recorded that uh, podcast this week and I probably sounded a bit tired uh, as I was telling you about the fatigue. Uh, So academic was the word I was searching for and uh, I find it so fascinating and I'd love to know more about it. So hopefully we will get him back soon. Uh, Also, like if you have some Egyptian questions, uh, please head over to the Big Squid Facebook page and just leave me some of your questions there and I can collate them for our next podcast. Uh, If you're a Patreon supporter... You know, I'm pretty good with the email. Write to me there and I'll get on to your questions uh, ASAP. Actually, your questions will go to the top of the line because you're a Patreon supporter. Uh, If you'd like access to more Big Squid productions like the podcast, at the moment I'm putting up the big scripts that I wrote for Season 2, which all covered David Bowie's final album, Black Star. It's interpretations, it's breaking down the songs and it's all interspersed with my own history as a fan of David Bowie if that sounds like something that would appeal to you and and there's heaps of other things there as well uh, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore big squid and you will find a tier that suits you uh, top review at Apple Podcasts is great uh, and also just word of mouth is super handy as well so if you want to contribute in some way uh you know, there's some options there for you as well. Uh, also, if you feel like you'd like to do a little bit of light reading, there are blogs. There is our first short story for Beautiful Tales uh, for the Disenchanted, uh, King Hamster, over at bigsquidpod.com. So you can go over there and find that. That's all free as well. So next week, I'll have two podcasts for you. The wonderful Georgia Mooney is returning. I love Georgia and I. Uh, she is coming back to discuss her latest Superband tour. And once again, that's another podcast we've been trying to set up for actually a few months now. So we are finally getting to it. So that'll be towards the end of the week. But to start the week, <laughs> the fabulous Adam Richard, Ben Elwood and I are going to see Thor. That's right. We're going Sunday morning and then we're going to record our thoughts straight afterwards and I will put that up Monday morning so you have time to go and check out the movie if you want to listen to the podcast beforehand. Look, if you see the film and you have some thoughts, write to me via that Facebook page, the Big Squid Facebook page, or Patreon before Sunday morning, and I'll uh, incorporate them into the podcast. Uh, 
why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I going to see Thor after my fury at Doctor Strange after the way I started this podcast? Who knows? Who knows how my head works? It's been a foggy week. Look, here's the thing. We might love it. Like, I'm not saying that we won't love it. I will be going into the movie with my fingers crossed that I do love it. So don't think I'm going in to hate it. I'm not one of those kinds of viewers. But it's just been a tough run. And I'm hoping that run turns around. We'll see. Either way, it will be a fun podcast. So that will go up on Monday morning. So you have a bit of time to go and check out the new Thor. Let's finish today with a quote from author Ray Bradbury. A book has got smell. A new book smells great. An old book smells even better. An old book smells like ancient Egypt. I hope you're well out there. Look after yourself. Be careful. Until then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.